Our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And I'm going to read from chapter 4, verse 16, uh, down through chapter 5, verse 9. Let's hear now the reading of God's word. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So... We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim please him. May God bless this reading of his word in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and for all the ways that you've already blessed us and spoken to our hearts. And now we pray that once again, you would speak to us from your word and from the inspired truths that it contains. We pray that your Holy Spirit Uh, would fill us and uh, bring the words off the page. And uh, we pray, Father, that we would hear you speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I should say that uh, I'm going to change the title of this message. Uh, All week, I kind of debated whether to do an expository sermon on this passage or do a topical sermon that would end up in this passage. And on Friday when it was time to run the bulletin, I was thinking it would be the expository sermon on this passage, and by Saturday I'd changed my mind again and decided to do the topical sermon. So we will get to this passage. But the message today is going to be living in tents. 
living in tents. And I need to perhaps start with just a few disclaimers. You know, sometimes you have to have those legal disclaimers just to make sure that, you know, you don't get in any any trouble. So here are the legal disclaimers for the message this morning. First of all, uh, the opinions expressed by today's speaker on the subject of camping do not reflect the official views of the session of Hickson Presbyterian Church or its senior pastor, Reverend Robert Johnson. Uh, Secondly, any similarity between actual persons and the incidences described in the introduction to this sermon is probably intentional, but if questioned, the speaker will disavow any knowledge of it. And finally, no animals were harmed in the writing of this sermon, except for perhaps one chicken, as will be described later on. Uh, I'm uh, here preaching today because uh, Robert is on vacation and has been away this week, and I'm not sure whether he's back with us or not. There was someone here who kind of looked like Robert. It kind of sounded like Robert, but we're going to have to check that out just to make sure that it really is uh, Robert who came back from that backpacking trip. Uh, But yes, this past week, Robert uh, went backpacking in Virginia with Morgan and and Daniel and Daniel's friend Marshall, and I call it Robert and Morgan's Excellent Adventure. Now, I I want you to know, to be fair to to Robert, that that he invited me to go along with them, and I I really thought it over for for about three nanoseconds. It might have been two. Um... You see, I I have to admit that at this point in my life, I'm really not much into camping. Um, But I did get to hear Robert and Morgan planning for the trip as we rode back from Presbytery, and I got a lot of good stuff to share with you. Um, (laughs) Now, I realized as they were talking that I really have a lot in common with campers and backpackers. For instance... People who camp, uh, particularly this time of year, um, they want to be warm at night. And so they're very proud of their sleeping bags. And, you know, they'll say, my sleeping bag is rated for, you know, 30 degrees. It'll keep you warm at 30 degrees. And, uh, you know, someone else, no names here, but will say, well, my sleeping bag is rated to take you down to 20 degrees. I'm still trying to wonder what happens to your nose when the rest of your body is. But, uh, see, I like to be warm at night, too. I really do. I I share that. I have that in common with you. I just have a different strategy. We have central heat in our house and a thermostat. It it works, and your nose stays warm. It's great. And backpackers like to be comfortable at night. You know, you want to be able to get a good night's sleep so you're ready for the trail the next day. So in addition to a sleeping bag, you take a mat, some kind of little foam thing that you roll up. And you, when, when you get where you're going, you roll it out and you put your sleeping bag on there. And it, and it, it makes, uh, makes it a little more comfortable. We see, I have that in common with them too. I like to be comfortable at night. And that's why in our house we, we have a bed with, with a, like a mattress and a box springs. And, and I've never slept on one of those little mats, but I'm pretty sure the bed's better. And finally, backpackers, they like to eat well, well when they're out on the trail. I mean, you just can't 
just take some trail mix and beef jerky. I mean, that, you've got to go in style. All that hiking makes you hungry for something really good. And so backpackers have a solution for that, even miles and miles away from a kitchen. And one very popular dish is, oh, I've got it right here, freeze-dried teriyaki chicken and rice. All you got to do is boil the water to kill the parasites and add it to this. Boy, it's really good. Robert, I'm going to give this to you, and uh, I was thinking that you could save it maybe for some special occasion. I think Lynn's birthday may be coming up. <laughs> or how about Valentine's Day, you know, with some flowers and candlelight? Well, you'll find the right occasion, and you're not in any real hurry because it says uh, used by September 2016, so you can... Find a use for it somewhere between now and then. Well, we could go on and on like that, but I'm already in a lot of hot water, and I'll probably have to pay for it because uh, I've just walked all over rule number three of being an assistant pastor. You want to know what rule number three is, don't you? Rule number three is never have too much fun at the expense of a guy who's got an awful lot of Sundays to get you back. Anyway, all of this got me to thinking this week about tents and camping, and it was why I was looking at verses like this and uh, thought I would preach about it. And so I want to preach to you today about living in tents. And you would be surprised, you would be amazed as you go to Scripture how often in the Bible the subject of tents and camping, and traveling, and being on a journey or a pilgrimage is used as a symbol of our lives and our relationship with God. It's throughout the Bible. And so the first thing that I want to say to you this morning is that God's people have always lived in tents or some kind of temporary shelter. God's people have always lived in tents. God came to Abram and the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And we read more about this in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, and he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There's Abraham, Abram. Originally, he's comfortable, he's with his own people, he's in his own country, and God comes to him, and he says, go out, leave your home, leave your countrymen, leave the comforts of home, pack your bags, I'm going to take you on a journey somewhere, and while we're on the way, I'll tell you where it is, but you're going to live in tents for the rest of your life. 
And then there was the exodus from Egypt. And the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And we read this in Leviticus chapter 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, On the 15th day of this seventh month and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. Now get this. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. You see, they were in bondage. They were in slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh, and God brought them out, and he led them through the Red Sea on dry land. And they left. Though it was slavery, it was familiar It was comfortable to the degree that they had food. And they went into the wilderness where time and time again they had to depend completely on God for food and for water and for guidance. And they weren't home yet. They lived in little booths, lean-tos, temporary shelters, whatever they could put together. And so to Numbers, we read, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. When you think about the people of Israel on the Exodus, this is a nation of people living in tents. And even when they got to the promised land, For a long time, they lived in tents. Some of them built houses. Some of them moved into houses, but many of them continued to live in tents. And so we read, he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain, which his right hand had won. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Now, what's the significance of all this? What's what's the meaning of all this for us? Well, tents... And booths and lean-tos are temporary structures. And they remind us that in this world, God's people have no permanent home. Like Abraham, we have heard the call of God. We have left houses and countrymen. And we're on a long journey to another place. Like the Israelites in the Bible, we've been delivered from Slavery, not slavery in Egypt, but slavery to sin. But we're still wandering through the wilderness on our way to the promised land. So, while we may buy houses and decorate them and build careers and have families and enjoy our lives in the world, we should always remember that we are still pilgrims and sojourners living in a foreign land. We are not home yet. 
Or as one ancient theologian wrote, God is at home. We are in the far country. Now, the second thing that I want you to see this morning about tents that is found throughout the Bible is that God always travels with his people, even when they're living in tents. He's with us. He's on that journey. He's on that pilgrimage with us. As Christians, we're on a long journey, but we're not alone. God is with us. In the Old Testament, God instructed Moses to have the people build a tent for him. It's amazing. The, the, the first structure that was built for the worship of God was not a cathedral. It was a tent. It was called the tabernacle. It was an ornate tent. And it had a central place, and then it had a courtyard that was defined by all these tents. And you know what? If we had projectors and screens now, I'd flash a picture of it up there on the wall so you could see it. Well, maybe one day. Uh, But uh, maybe it's in the back of your Bible. There's a picture of it. But it was a tent. And when when the Israelites set up their camps, the, the tabernacle was always right in the center of the camp. And the 12 tribes were all assigned a, a, a special place around the tabernacle, and they made their camps facing the tabernacle. God was with them. God was in the midst of them. God went with them wherever they went. And so we read that the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and the fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. They knew God was with them. They had no home. They had no permanent houses. They were living in tents. They were looking for the promised land. But God was with them in the very midst of their camp. And the glory of the Lord was resting upon the tabernacle. Now, you might think, what a wonderful picture. That's a wonderful thing. What what a wonderful symbol. And it is. And it was. But it's also a very awesome symbol. Because the God who was in their midst on their pilgrimage and on their journey was an all-knowing, all-powerful, completely holy and righteous God. And so God instructed Moses to appoint the Levites as a, to be a tribe of, of priests and their job 
was not only to minister in the tabernacle and to, to offer the sacrifices and, and do all the rituals of the, the worship in the tabernacle, but their job was also to guard the tabernacle from anyone who would defile it. And so we read, appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings and and they shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall, shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. And at one time there was a rebellion. And God sent a plague upon his people, the Israelites, because of this rebellion. Because he was a holy God and a righteous God. And so later on this word was given uh, to Moses that the Levites shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, and no outsider shall come near you, and you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. This, this was not only a wonderful thing that, 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 that God loved them and that he was with them wherever they went, that he provided for them, that he led them, but he was also a holy God. And he wanted them to obey his commandments. And he wanted them to live lives that were righteous and holy and good and loving and pure. And sometimes I imagine it was a little bit uncomfortable to have God dwelling and the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle right there in the center of the camp. Maybe sometimes there were people who were uncomfortable with that as they are today. There was something a little bit dangerous about having God dwell right in the center of the camp with his people. The tabernacle was not just a big circus tent where thousands of people gathered for exciting and entertaining worship services each week. It wasn't really a, a, a big tent in that sense at all. It was a place where the priest offered sacrifices for the sins of the people. And the most sacred part of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And and the Holy of Holies was so sacred that the high priest of, of Israel would only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And only after there had been sacrifices made for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And then he would enter the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people and intercede for them. And ask God's forgiveness for their sins. 
You see, God was with his people, but he was a holy God. Don't be don't 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 get the wrong picture just because he was in a tent. He was a holy God. He was a righteous God. Now, when David eventually became the king of Israel, he wanted to replace the tabernacle with a grand temple, which is what eventually happened. And David spoke to Nathan, the court prophet, and he said, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar. David had built himself this elaborate palace. He said, But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And at first Nathan thought, this is a great idea. We are going to have a real temple, not a tent anymore. But that night God spoke to Nathan and he said, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not put me in a house of cedar? God was not in any particular hurry to have a grand temple built for him. What he did want was hearts who were devoted to him. People who, who loved him, who loved the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and loved their neighbor as themselves, and who wanted to follow him wherever he would lead. Follow him to that far promised land. He wanted our hearts more than he wanted a temple. So like the Israelites who lived in temples, in tents for many years, God was present in a special way in a tent, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle went with the people of God wherever they went. And even though he was the God of creation and the Lord of the universe, God lived in a tent. And it was only until, not until Solomon's reign that the first great temple was built. Now, when we come to the New Testament, by the time we come to the New Testament, that first temple that Solomon had built had been destroyed. The people had fallen away from God. They'd fallen into idolatry. And God said, if you do that, I'm going to allow your enemies to prevail over you. And so the Babylonians came and they destroyed the temple, and they carried the people off into exile. And another temple was built. And then it was destroyed some years later. And finally, a third temple was built that was in existence in Jesus' day. But we find something very surprising in the New Testament. In John 1.14, which just a few weeks ago Robert preached on, and, and, and you remember he said, this verse contains some of the most important words that have ever been penned. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Well, if you, if you look at the Greek word there, 
that's translated dwelt. It really means tabernacled with us. And so you could read the the verse this way, and the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us, just like God was with the people in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. Jesus came in human flesh, fully God and fully man, and he joined us in the midst of our camp, and he pitched his tent among us. And it was a tent that was filled with the glory of the Lord. We have seen his glory, glory as of only the only son from the father. Now, what's the point of this? God is present in the midst of his people today through his son, Jesus Christ. As both God and man, he understands our weaknesses. He understands this life. He understands the challenges that we face because he's walked on this same earth. He's lived in a body like ours. He's faced the challenges that you and I face. He is a sympathetic high priest. In fact, he is the true high priest that all of those priests of the Old Testament served as just just shadows and foreshadows and types to point to the one true high priest who would be both the high priest and the tabernacle, the true tent in which God would be worshipped. And he travels with us on our journey to the promised land. But like those high priests of the Old Testament, he also offers a sacrifice for the sins of his people. This time, not symbolic sacrifices of of animals, bulls and goats and sheep, but Jesus as the high priest who tabernacled among us offered himself. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he did die on the cross and gave his life and his blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sins. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Now, the point of what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. And he continues, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. As John writes, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came, and he pitched his tent among us. And he gave his life, his sinless life, as a sacrifice for our sins. And he offers forgiveness for sins and eternal life to all who will believe and receive him. To all who will trust in him alone for salvation. If you don't know Christ this morning, now is the time. Now is the time to turn to him. And acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you need the forgiveness that only Jesus and his death on the cross can bring. And that you want to receive him and follow him all the rest of the days of your life until he finally brings you safely home. Well, there's one more lesson that we can learn about God and and, and about the life and the journey that we're on through the image and symbolism of tents. And that is this. When our life's journey is complete and this tent of flesh is finally worn out, God promises to bring his people, not to a tent, not to another tent, but to an eternal home. You see, there's a problem with tents. There's a problem with tents because because no matter how expensive they are, no matter how good a quality you make them or how fancy they are, they're still, in the end, just temporary structures. They don't last. They don't last. And eventually they wear out. You know, the real reason I didn't go with Robert and Morgan on their excellent adventure is that at this point in my life, I have pretty bad knees, and they pop, and they crack, and I just know if I put a big pack on my back, and I started walking after about five miles, my knees would hurt so bad, they'd be carrying me out for the rest of the trip. Now, maybe one day I'll get them fixed and replaced, because we can do that now, uh, but all of these aches and pains and and illnesses and and physical challenges that we face remind us that we're living in tents. This is a tent. And it's wearing out. Every day it wears out a little bit more. Every year it wears out a little bit more. It it was never designed to last forever, at least not since the fall, and it won't last forever. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul writes in his letter, second letter to the Corinthians, for we know that if the tent, referring to his body, if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, not temporary, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. You see, what we're ultimately looking for and longing for is is not a new and better tent, not not a fancier tent. But, But what we're longing for is a permanent home in a better place. A place where God is in the center, not of a camp of people who are on the move, but not yet there. But God is in the center of a shining city that will last forever. And we read about that in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And here's one other thing he says. And I saw no temple in the city. No temple. For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now some of you may be thinking, well, that, that's great. That sounds great. And you know what? When I get to that point, I want to go to that city. But I really like this world and... I really want to experience and enjoy as much as I can while I'm in this life. I can understand that because, after all, this world is God's creation. Even though marred by sin and even though we ourselves are fallen and sinners, there's still much in the world that is very beautiful and good. And I'm sure that Robert and Morgan and Daniel and Marshall saw a lot of that on their trip. So even when you're living in tents and you're trying to stay warm and, 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 and you're getting sore feet, and there's beauty along the way. And there's a satisfaction in experiencing it with others. So after a long day of backpacking, freeze-dried chicken sounds pretty good. Pretty good. But, Let me ask you a question. When you get back home from backpacking and you get back to a warm house with hot water and a shower and clean clothes and brewed coffee and a home-cooked meal, do you ever think, well, I sure wish I could have some freeze-dried chicken tonight? You don't do it, do you? 
I mean, I don't think you do it. You don't miss it. You enjoyed it while you were there, but you won't miss it when you get home. And that's the way it is with heaven. See, there are many things that we enjoy in our lives here on earth. But once we finally get home and we're in the very presence of God, we're never going to miss all those things that we strive for and fight for and cling to here on earth. We'll never miss them. They were great for the trail, but they're nothing you really want to eat once you get back home. My friends, if you are a Christian today, you are part of the long tradition of God's people who journeyed through life living in tents. Oftentimes it was actual physical tents, but even when we're settled in homes and we have families and we have careers, we should remember that we are in the end a people living in a far country on a long journey to get back home. We're strangers And we're exiles here on earth. We're still looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And if you hear the call, and you're ready to leave your country, and maybe some of your kinsmen behind, to go on a journey to look for that city, you will not be disappointed. For God has prepared a home for you.